for the first time, maybe dragged here by uh, a family or friend, want to get you kind of up to speed. We've been going through the uh, Gospel of John, and we've actually been kind of in this frame, this story, this, it's like a, a sermon that Jesus is doing here uh, for like six or seven or eight weeks, but we're going to kind of come to the, to the last point of it. But I want to get you caught up to speed if you haven't been there. What took place, and it was like six weeks ago, but Jesus heals a man blind from birth. It's incredible. It's incredible. That in and of itself should be the sermon, should be the illustration, application, should just be done, should just stand in awe of God. But it doesn't end there. He, the way that he healed him was he made some mud, put it on the guy's eyes, and then said, hey, all right, now go and wash this off. And the guy comes home and he sees. It's incredible. Jesus could have just said, you're healed and been done with it. But he, the way that he does it, and we, we believe it's definitely for a reason that he did it that way, is to get at the heart of religious leaders that are watching this. The religious leaders have seen this. They've seen this. They've, they've heard about this healing. And the, the way the guy, blind guy explains it is, he made some mud, he put it on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. And we're thinking, that's, that's great, it's incredible, it should be done, story over. But for them, in their minds, in these, the minds of the religious leaders, they had a set of laws. They set, had a way of doing things. That this, this making of the mud, and the day on which he made the mud was a Sabbath, it, the Sabbath, you're supposed to rest. This is a holy day. You just, you rest. And so that was the command that God had brought down. And then they had turned into a bunch of rules. What we mean rest is this. And making mud, that's a no-no. In our, in our way of uh, doing things, you can't do that. You can't make mud. And so there's a big brouhaha stirring because Jesus heals a guy and certain people are like, that's incredible. And then you got people over here saying, yeah, but... He broke these religious laws that we have. And so in verse 16 of chapter 9, the religious leaders just say, plain and simple, this man is not from God. This Jesus guy, not from God, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. In their minds, the making of the mud said, no, that's, that's breaking what God wants. And the others, the, another camp said, you know, how can a sinner, how can somebody who's bad do such miraculous things? It's incredible. And so the group is divided. The blind man, he's just like, I don't get this whole argument whether he's God or not God, but this is unbelievable. I can see for the first time in my life, at least it's been 13 years, probably more, I can see. And here's the deal, he worships Jesus. So that is, that's kind of the introduction to the sermon. Jesus heals this guy and it causes this big stir. I mean, can you imagine if we started every sermon on a Sunday morning with just a healing you know, just kind of talked about that. It's like a great way to start off a sermon. Just come on up here, let me heal you. But I don't have that gift. Jesus did, I don't. So we're just going to keep going. He does that, and then here is his big teaching. At the end of John 9, he says, For judgment I have come into the world. Why? So that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And the religious leaders are offended. And they said, are you talking about us? Are you claiming that we're blind? And Jesus says, you claim that you see. And you really can't. And so now, this is out there. This is out there. Jesus is just definitely, definitely opposed to the religious leaders at the, of the day. But he doesn't end there. He tries. He wants to enfold them. He wants to come around them. He wants them to believe in them. And so we get these, all these different illustrations coming up. 
But what they missed and all their, their earnest desire to be holy and to make these laws and to follow God, they miss it. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Stated another way in Luke eleven forty two, 42, he says, Woe to you Pharisees, you religious leaders, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. He's like, do both, but you're missing both. You're emphasizing one without the other. And it's a big deal. And Jesus is getting a glimpse into their heart towards him and towards what he's doing. He healed the guy. And their hearts are becoming hardened towards him. And so Jesus is trying. He's trying his best. And so he's going he's to come up with some pictures, some illustrations, to try and get them to see that they're missing him. First one was two weeks ago, in the beginning of John 10. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, that person is a thief and a robber. But the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. That is a point we're going to come back to time and time again. The sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him. Again, because they know his voice, they listen to him. These sheep will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus uses this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. They're missing it again. And then the application that Steve used was, are we, are you and I distinguishing the shepherd's voice? A key key piece of this, recognizing his voice, listening to him, following him. And he's trying to point out to these religious leaders, you guys aren't listening to me. I'm trying to lead you. I'm trying to show you awesome things. Guy's blind. I heal him, and you're missing it. You're so caught up in the details, these religious details, these religious rules that you've established, and you're missing it. A week ago, okay, second illustration. First one was shepherd, sheep, voice, hearing, follow, got it? Okay, next one. Sermon illustration number two. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. It's kind of the same words used, just a different analogy. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And the application from this is, do you want to live? It's your choice, okay? First one was the shepherd and the sheep and hearing the voice, and then this one, here is a gate. And Jesus says, I am that gate, and you can come through me and be saved. Be saved. And again, it's there. Are you going to choose your ways, or are you going to come through me? This week, we get on sermon illustration number three, okay? Third time, Jesus is going to come at it from another, another way, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Lays down his life for the sheep. So first one, I'm a shepherd, and you can hear my voice, and you can follow me. Okay, I'm kind of sticking with you, Jesus, all right? You're a shepherd, sheep, we follow you. Okay, second one, I'm a gate, all right? Just come through me, you'll be saved. Don't know if I fully understand that save part, but I can kind of get my mind around it. 
Then all of a sudden he comes over here and he says, I'm a shepherd and I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. And for me at that point, the wheels of the analogy just kind of fall off. It's like, well, if you're dead, the sheep are toast, aren't they? I mean, the wolf's going to come if they're not protected. You're, shepherd's supposed to protect the flock. And, but he's trying to get at a point, something that they wouldn't necessarily have understood. Why Jesus was there? What was he all about? And Jesus is going to take time to explain it with this piece of, I am the good shepherd. Of all the things that Jesus could be described as for being good and being our shepherd, number one, by far, number one, after commentator, 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 all the, all the theologians, they so important to understand that he has laid down his life for you. That's what, that is what the cross is all about. Is that from our lives, there is, on my own, okay, 10-year reunion coming up, man, on my own, without God inter- intervening in my life, no good. I would have nothing to bring to, to my uh, classmates of 96. Nothing. I got nothing. Any, anything that I've done has just been a slap in the face of God, laced with selfishness and pride, arrogance, and that's why Jesus came, to absorb all that. The Bible talks about us all sinning, all falling short of the glory of God. But then there's Christ. And he takes our place for any punishment we would bear. It's the coolest thing. And that's what he's trying to get at. He's trying to explain to these guys, these religious leaders, those who are watching, I'm the good shepherd, and I'm actually going to lay my life down for you. For you. So there's, there's the sheep with his, the shepherd and the sheep with the voice. There's the gate, and now there's this new analogy, this new illustration, trying to get him to understand that he is the good shepherd. And he can contrasts it with, I am not a hired hand. Let's look at verse 12. It says, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. I own the sheep, Jesus is saying. So when this hired hand sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care anything about the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Real quickly going through there, he lays his life down for the sheep. He owns the sheep. Any, any pastor, anybody in religious authority in this room, you don't own the sheep. God owns the sheep. And he does not abandon the sheep when he sees danger or a wolf coming. He cares everything for the sheep. He knows the sheep and they know him. And he compares it to his relationship with God the Father, which is going to get him in a whole lot of trouble when he says, I and the Father are one. That's coming next week, so you're going to want to come around for that. But this is getting him into heated water with the religious leaders that he says, I'm going to know my sheep. They're going to know me just as I know the Father and as the Father knows me. And then he ties it up at the end of verse 15, saying it again. And just in case you missed it, I'm going to lay my life down for the sheep. Continuing on, he's, he's keeping trying to explain this to get them to understand. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep, okay? Not of this pen. This, who I'm talking to right now is primarily a Jewish sheep pen. Jewish people. He's saying, I have sheep of a different pen. A non-Jewish sheep pen. I want to bring some of them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock 
and one shepherd. Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd of all my sheep, not just the Jewish ones. And for them, this is something that's been missed throughout their history as a Jewish people, is that God chose them and he's going to bless them. And one of the implications of that is you're going to be a blessing to others. You're going to be a light to other non-Jewish people. And for much of their history, they've missed that. And Jesus is saying, it's not just about this sheep pen. It's not just about you guys. It's always been about you guys and all these other people in this other sheep pen. And he's saying, how am I going to distinguish who are my sheep? It's not just ethnic based on a nationality. It's not based on that. There's going to be one, one way that I'm going to dis- discern who are my sheep. It's not who's in this pen or that pen. I'm going to invite. I'm going to invite sheep. And whoever hears my voice and listens and follows me, those are my sheep. And you might start out in this pen or you might start out in that pen, but it's those who listen to his voice and follow. And just real quickly, a brief application point. That's for us right now, today. Uh, doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what kind of schooling you have or don't have. What kind of job you have or don't have. What kind of family you grew up in. Doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual journey with God. Today, today, he is inviting every single one of us in this room to come and to follow him, to listen to him, to follow after him. Let's pick it up again. Verse 17 keeping on this idea of him being the good shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. Listen to the authority that Jesus has. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. There is, uh, in certain cultural circles, uh, it's kind of died out recently, but uh, a few years ago, Christianity became this, almost this cult of people who believe in divine child abuse. That God just pours out his wrath on his son and that's like child abuse. And this passage, this, these verses, clearly Jesus is saying, no, no, you don't understand. I have the authority. I have the authority to lay down my life on behalf of my sheep. And guess what? I have the authority to take it up again. That was given to me by God the Father. I do this of my own volition, of my own accord, a part of the plan. Listen to what it says in John 12. He's, he's, he's approaching death and he says, Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Instead I say, Father, glorify your name. Jesus has the authority over his life to lay it down. And he did by dying on the cross. That was, that was Jesus orchestrating his own death. First and foremost, beyond what you... I mean, the, the Jews didn't put him to death. Jesus orchestrated his death for his sheep so that he could die in our place. And then again, he has authority to take it up again, to be raised to new life. He has authority over death. And it says the, the Father loves him as he fulfilled his role to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world, to absorb the wrath of God in perfect obedience in conjunction with his plan. That's why he came. And then verse 19, all, all this illustration, trying to better understand, you know, there's the sheep and the, the, the shepherd and the voice and then there's this gate and there's this shepherd who's laying down his life for the sheep, all illustrating the point. Come to me. Listen to me. Follow me. In different ways, in different stories, with different analogies, trying to get them. 
Just as he is to you this morning. He's inviting you to come this morning to follow him, to listen to his voice. Verse 19, it says, At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed. He's raving mad. He's a lunatic. Why listen to him? Why even listen to this guy, Jesus? Verse 21, But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind man? Over and over again in in chapter 9 and chapter 10, there's a clear distinction between those who listen to his voice and they follow. And on this other side, those who say, why listen to him? He's crazy. That is the long and short of it. Those who listen and those who won't. And it's very clear, those who listen to his voice and follow are his sheep. I hope I'm not being um, too offensive, but what it, I just want to pose the question, what does it mean to listen to God? How do we do that? And I hope I'm not offending any of you who feel like, man, I, you should just know how to listen to God. It's like, when I was, became a believer, it's like, I don't know what that means to, to listen to God and to follow him and to, to, to discern his voice and to distinguish it from others. What does that mean? So I want to answer that question. I, uh, I had to take, uh, I had to do a sleep study. Anybody? Anybody uh, had to do a sleep study before? Hands, show of hands. Nobody. Wow, don't I feel awkward up here. Okay, I'm the, uh, I'm the broken one. No. Uh, so uh, it turns out that uh, when I sleep, I, uh, I squeak. Um, so I guess this is kind of confession time. I squeak. I squeak when I sleep. So... Uh, for the first, you know, 22 years of my life, I, I didn't know that I squeaked. I didn't know I had a problem. Uh, but then I got married, and uh, we sleep in the same bed, my wife and I, and uh, she let me know that I, I squeak. And I, I guess what I do is I, like, hold my breath, you know, taking a deep breath. So I, I didn't know I did this. My wife knew very well that I did this. And I didn't know it was a problem until uh, one night, a couple weeks back, about 2 a.m., uh, I was just awakened out of a, what I consider to be a good sleep. You know, my wife just waking me up. And she looks me just dead in the eye, as only my wife can. And she just, she says, what are you going to do? <laughs> and, and my wife has said that a couple other times, and, and I know when she says that question, what are you going to do, that it's become a pretty big deal that I'm squeaking. So, you know, I'm, I'm like half awake, half asleep, just like, oh my gosh, there's a big problem, and I'm trying to discern what it is. But So out of this comes this sleep study. And if you don't know, I mean, you, you go to the, you know, the sleep clinic and uh, you, you get two things attached here in case you got, you know, kind of the wiggly legs in bed. Okay, so you get two there. And then I got two things strapped around my torso. Okay, two things, two electrodes on my shoulders. 
I got uh, one behind each ear, three along my chin, one kind of on this cheek, two up here. Let's see, I got uh, five on my head, like, you know, like specially glued on, like tight to make, get, get it through my hair there. And then I have uh, essentially, you know, two like breathing tubes that kind of come up into my nose. And all these have wires that kind of come up my body and form this like giant ponytail in the back, you know? <laughs> like I got this giant like head of dreadlocks or something. And then they're just like, okay, now, now sleep. It's like, really? But essentially what they do is the, the, then they use this and they kind of plug you into something and they monitor you throughout the whole night. They, they monitor you. And they, they take record, everything that you do is, you know, essentially I think is recorded on this and they, and they watch. And it's really weird. Because, you know, they shut off the lights and they, they tell you to go to sleep and then before they do that, they need to make sure everything's working. Okay? So he kind of comes over kind of through the loudspeaker. He says, core. Open your eyes for 30 seconds. So I do that. Close your eyes for 30 seconds. Look left, look right. Look left, look right. Up, down, up, down. Now blink for me five times. Okay, everything seems to look good. Go to sleep. <laughs> so you, you do your best. <laughs> Try, tried my best to like sleep on command. Don't know how well I did. I'll get the results back in a couple weeks and they'll tell me uh, what's bro broken or wrong with me. But uh, I think many times when we're like wanting to listen to God, I think at some level, we just want to know. Like we want to have something, you know, kind of be hooked up to something and if we like get off the wrong track, we just want God to come in through the loudspeaker and be like, Jason, wrong direction. Turn the other way, head north. Then we'll get you on the right track. I think at some level, we want to we wanna hear that voice. We want to know, like, am I doing what God wants me to do? You know, you're making a decision on a career path or a relationship. You're like, God, do you, you want this? Or what's going on there? And, and we want to have that voice. We want to be so connected to God. It's like, just, just tell me. Um, but I want to hopefully just kind of take some time to figure out what does it mean to listen to God. And I hope I'm not offending anybody by doing this, but because it... It seems to me that God communicates spiritually. Spiritual God communicates spiritually. It's like, wow, who would have thought? 1 Corinthians 2, verses 13 through 14 says, This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit, okay? The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For their foolishness to him. And he could not understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. First and foremost, if you come into this room this morning and you want to hear from God, first and foremost, invite God to come into your life. Invite the Holy Spirit of God to come into your life. Because this passage seems to be saying, you're not going to have true spiritual capacity to hear and understand without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God searches all things, it says in another part. The Spirit of God knows all, and He can communicate them to you. Um, but you need him. You need the Spirit of God, first and foremost. So how do we listen spiritually? I, I listed six things. It's not a six-step process. You're not going to find it in a book. You know, this is, this is birthed out of my small group from last year. We looked at, at some of these things as we were studying the Holy Spirit. Number one, listen to his word. First uh, and foremost, listen to his word. So important. It's one of the core values we have here at Hope. But Steve and I, we, we get to in, 
engage with a lot of people, a lot of people at different places in their spiritual journey, going through struggles, there is a dramatic difference between those who listen to God's word and obey it and those who don't. We just see it. it just see it, almost black and white, the difference. So trust in God's word. Uh, every week, every week as we come here before you, we're thinking to ourselves, at least the word of God got on the screen. I might have been a total screw-up as a preacher, but at least the word of God I got on the screen. And that's, that's by far the most important. So study it, look at it by yourself, look at it in a small group, uh, listen to his word. Uh, it works. We've seen it. We've experienced it ourselves in our own lives. Number two, listen to other sheep who are listening to his voice. Who, do, you, do you know other people who are great sheep, great followers? I mean, I got a great wife, and she just, I just love that. I love being able to talk to her because she is one who is after God's heart and so helpful, so helpful in all of my life. So find out other sheep who are listening to his voice and uh, just ask them, hey, where are we going? Where, where are we following to? Here. Uh, number three, I get into kind of the, the listen now with the, with the kind of the quotes. Um, listen to peace. It's like you're not going to hear that verbally, but man, this is a, a big way in which I've experienced God communicating, trying to communicate to me the presence or absence of peace. That is a way that God can communicate to you spiritually. Presence or absence of peace. You might have circumstances that you're like, this is absurd to be going forward, but you have peace from God. And you're like, I'm doing it. You're kind of getting a smile. Like maybe you've experienced like, you just, everything looks crazy. There's crashing waves all over. And you're like, I'm going. It is right. I'm doing it. And there might be other things where people are looking at you saying, you got to go forward. All the circumstances are perfect. You got to do this. And you don't have peace. That can be a strong indicator of God trying to communicate something to you. So listen. Listen to peace. Um, he is the God of peace. Peace is a fruit of keeping in touch with the Spirit. And actually, in Philippians 4, it talks about peace guarding our hearts, guarding our minds in Christ Jesus. So listen to peace. Listen to your conscience. Listen to your conscience. Um, 1 Timothy 4 talks about people who don't have a, a strong conscience, a, a strong moral bearing. They're, they've had as if they've been seared with a hot iron. Nothing catches. Nothing catches. But listen to Paul in Romans 9. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. How can he make such a claim? He says, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit that I'm not lying to you. And what he's trying to say is, if I were lying, my conscience would be saying something to me, would be convicting me. And so listen to your conscience. Holy Spirit uses your conscience to, to communicate to you. Number five, listen. Listen to wisdom. Listen to wisdom. God is able to give wisdom. If you lack wisdom, James 1 talks about, can ask God and he'll give generously without finding fault. I got a great piece of wisdom last night. Wasn't even looking for it, but I got a great piece of wisdom. I, uh, there was supposed to be this uh, safety can opener, you know, the ones that you know, create it so there's no rough edges. That's what they tell you. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Don't, don't trust that infomercial, okay? So I did it. And I, only got the, I only got the top like halfway off. And I was able to get all the food out, but then I was kind of like, you know, I want to rinse this thing. We can recycle it. And so I tried to like pop it off. Get a giant gash in my hand. It's like, ah. Oh. But I get this great piece of wisdom from Dave Nelson. He just says, whatever you do, just keep it open. Just keep it open, you know, do the Band-Aid thing. Do whatever you want to do. But just keep it open. Keep it stretched open. Because then you're not going to break the, you know, the, the stuff that's forming, the skin cells that are kind of working together, you know. But if you keep it closed, which had been my tendency, would be just kind of like, oh, I'll just keep it in a fist. Any time I go to open my hand, it's going to break that. So he said, keep it open. It's like, that's great. That's good stuff. That's wisdom right there. 
And it is, is this not working for you? In the same way, spiritually, God can just do that. He can just come along and give you wisdom that you just like, that is good. From a spiritual, I mean, spiritually speaking, something like this can happen. You can cut yourself. In a spiritual sense, is that analogy still working? Uh, And God can just give you wisdom about how to, oh, it's good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Number six, listen to your circumstances, including suffering. Listen to your circumstances. We've used this quote from C.S. Lewis before. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God communicates through circumstances, through life situations. You had your fourth baby. God must be talking a lot through that. You know, just the grace and love of God. And you got a boy. (laughs) I love that. That's such a great story. Three girls and then a boy. Oh, I love it. God's communicating to them through that. It's great. And and all the ones that we talked about, just thankfulness. God is communicating uh, to you through your circumstances. And the great thing is, is that these four listens here, they're not going to contradict Scripture. You might just be in a bad spot and be thinking about leaving your spouse and you say, if the light is on, I'm leaving my spouse. No, no, no. That contradicts scripture. Okay? So none of these things are going to lead you to do what's outside of God's word. God is, God is going to use his word first and foremost and people. So get other people and get his word and see, examine there. And then God uses these other things. And Neil, Neil Feldhahn, who um, was one of our elders, brought up a great point. Prayer and fasting are kind of the means by which God, he just is a catalyst for him to speak through these different ways. Prayer and fasting, just that you open up yourself to God and say, God, just help me understand. Help me, help me speak with wisdom. Help me learn. Give me peace or not peace so I can understand. Prayer and fasting, go that route. And this is so cool. This is so cool. Um, but we, we go back to the blind man. He was one who listened to God's voice. And look how he was blessed for it. He got some mud put on his eyes. I mean, just crazy. Somebody comes and puts mud on your eyes. He says, go to this pool and wash. And he listened. And he followed his instruction. And he came back seeing. It's incredible. And the promise given in the the second illustration of just, here, you are sheep. If you come through my gate, if you come through me as the gate, I'm going to give you a pasture. I'm going to give you a life, an abundant life that you won't experience any other place, any other way, except from listening to me. And it's been this way with God. It's so cool. God doesn't change. He's the same. We're going way back, in, uh, way back, way back in Israel's history. Deuteronomy 30 uh, says this. This day, this is God says, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. Can you imagine God? He just summons like, hey, I need some witnesses. Heaven, earth, all right. Come, come, come here. I need you as witnesses here. He says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse, curses. And then he says, he begs them, he asks them, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give you to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a strong connection between listening to God and experiencing life. Life, life. Kind of life you can't get anywhere else. Will you pray with me?
Father, sometimes I'm tempted to think that it'd just be easier if you just kind of had a megaphone, just... If I did something wrong, you'd just tell me right there audibly so I wouldn't have to wonder. But God, you have called us all to pause at different times in different ways, just listen to you. And God, it's my hope that this morning we do that. And the promise, God, of life that comes from listening to you, it's just too great to not listen, to stay deaf. But here we have this unbelievable opportunity to experience life with you. And it comes about through listening, God. Help us to just choose that, to choose life, and to choose to listen. Uh, so cool, God. So incredible that you'd make that offer to us. God, help us now to respond uh, through this worship song, just to you, to what you've um, shared with us, how you've spoken to each of us individually. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.